0: Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. From CAFE, this is a special edition of Stay Tuned. I'm Preet Bharara.
1: With what degree of certainty do you believe Brett Kavanaugh assaulted
0: you? 100%. 100%. I've never sexually assaulted anyone. Not in high school, not in college, not ever. recording this on Friday morning, September 28th. The hearing on Brett Kavanaugh took place yesterday. The vote in the Senate Judiciary Committee is happening right now as we speak. We're going to get to my interview with Ann Milgram in a moment, but first just a reminder that Stay Tuned is going on tour this fall. Tickets are on sale for two dates already. The first is October 25th, right here in New York City. My guest will be Jeff Tubin. and I'll be in Los Angeles on November 29th with Academy Award nominee... Kumail Nanjiani of The Big Sick. To get details and tickets, go to cafe.com slash tour. That's cafe.com slash tour. So I'm here with Ann Milgram uh, at the place of our employment, New York University School of Law. It's about 10.20 a.m. on Friday, September 28th. We're going to talk about Brett Kavanaugh and Dr. Ford and the Supreme Court hearing such as it was yesterday, which I think went on for about 91 hours. Um, The vote uh, and speeches surrounding the vote on Brett Kavanaugh in the committee of the judiciary in the Senate is happening as we speak. Um, But we decided not to put off having this conversation because a few minutes before we started recording, Senator Jeff Flake, who's a Republican on the committee, said that he would vote to confirm Brett Kavanaugh. So our expectation is, and do you agree with this? I agree. uh, It'll be an 11-10 party line vote in favor of Brett Kavanaugh. So we thought we'd you know, sit around a desk at the law school and record some of our thoughts. Um, and welcome to the show again. Thanks for having me. You are a, you're a favorite of the fans, uh, and there's nothing better than talking to you about stuff that went on so we can sort of unpack it, and make some sense of it. You know, we could talk about this for many, many hours, but we want to put out a, a short episode to hit the highlights. First, let's just talk about the alleged victim in the case, Dr. Ford, who testified for quite a length of time. How'd you find her?
1: So, I mean, can we step back just for one sure. second, which is that, and I do want to talk about that, but I also think we have to talk a little bit about the process that, to me, you know, I was sure, a let's, sex let's crimes let's prosecutor. Let's start with the
0: process. So ordinarily, you and I both lived through 27 years ago, Anita Hill and Clarence Thomas, and you and I have both done criminal cases, and you've done probably more sex crimes uh, prosecutions than I have. How's it supposed to work when there's a, an allegation of sexual assault?
1: So in my experience, particularly with sex assault cases more than anything, there needs to be an investigation of some kind. And one of the things that was incredible to me was that Instead of having an investigation and a real conversation about the corroboration of witnesses, the lack of corroboration, really the substance of it, we went immediately into this committee hearing, which is not an investigation, which is really this – it's a conversation. It's its really Brett Kavanaugh's job interview to go on the United States Supreme yeah, it's Court. Part,
0: it's part job interview. It's part hearing. It's part press conference. It's part political theater. It's, it's part uh, – presidential campaign for 2020.
1: Yes. And so so I, I just want to frame that, that I think, you know, I don't want to accept that that was the right way to do this. And so so that's the first piece. The second piece is I did find her to be very credible. Um, and, you know, I didn't know what, what to expect coming in. We hadn't heard from her. There were newspaper articles quoting her, but she came in and you know, having done sex crimes and human trafficking cases and um, sexual harassment investigations, you know, what I always look for, I look for is someone forthright. Do they tell you the good with the bad? Do they give you information, not necessarily the event itself, but other information that can be corroborated, like that Mark Judge was a good friend of Brett Kavanaugh's, like that they live close together, like, you know, different pieces of fact that, that you can use to knit together to figure out Does someone's testimony have the ring of truth? And I also thought she was – her demeanor spoke volumes to me that she really didn't want to be there. What did you think?
0: So, you know, what struck me was this thing that maybe people in the lay public don't think about so much and how we gauge credibility and how jurors gauge credibility. And sometimes it's – I was on the street and there was a red car coming towards me and that can be corroborated by photographs or something else. But there's something else that you hit on, which is the sort of likability – and general demeanor of a witness. And Dr. Ford, even though she was clearly frightened, I she agree. clearly did yep. not want to be there, I right? agree. Um, She had these little moments of, um, you know, when she was saying, I, I, so now I have my coffee, so now I can proceed. Or, um, you know, I like being collegial. The way she was deferential to the folks Very on the so. committee. Yeah. It's these little things that make you think, not just that the things that she's saying in the moment are likely to be true, But she is, generally speaking, a genuine, honest, truthful person, right?
1: Yes. And I also think to that point, you know, there are a lot of instances where she could have embellished this. She could have said in 2012, I said it was Brett Kavanaugh, and she didn't. And and she never did that yesterday. She never made any – in my view, her story has been consistent in terms of what she said in 2012. I'd never said his name. And that kind of stuff matters a lot when you're looking at, you know, somebody giving us the good with the bad, it certainly would have been better for her had she said, you know, I told my husband before we got married that Brett Kavanaugh had done this. And to me, there, there's also a pretty compelling timeline, and I would be interested to hear what you think about this. But, you know, this guy who she's, you know, telling us has done this terrible thing to her, he goes on the D.C. circuit, and all of a sudden he's shortlisted. So to me, there was a lot of credibility in her explanation for why she waited a long time to come forward and then ultimately did come forward.
0: Well, the timing of her coming forward is very important because there's this narrative – on the part of the people who want to rush to confirm Brett Kavanaugh, that it was a last-minute thing trying to undermine the confirmation. But as you and I know from the hearing and otherwise, she actually tried to come forward before he was actually nominated, when she thought it was a possibility. Now, there can be arguments about whether or not she should have gone public at that time and, and what Senator Feinstein and her local congresswoman may have done. But but she actually did not wait till the end.
1: Right, that's true. And I think it's also important when people sort of think about why didn't she come forward 36 years ago, you know, my experience is that the vast majority of women do not come forward. Um, and so, you know, I, I almost think as a country we have to flip our expectations that women would come forward and even confide in their best friends or their parents at that time. The norm is that they wouldn't. And so to me there was a lot of credibility and sort of she moved on, felt she was lucky that she hadn't actually been raped, and then has the, these traumas that come out of it that, that stay with her for many years.
0: Here's the other thing that was strange and also, if I can say, uh, sort of endearing that because she was, she was both the fact witness, because she's the victim right. in the case, yep. but she also happens to be a highly trained, uh, highly credentialed psychologist, some of the answers she gave you know, were both from the perspective of having been in, in the room and being attacked in this way, and also you know, an expert explanation of how memory works. Like, what, yes. what was the one phrase that interestingly sticks in my mind was she was asked by, I think, Senator Leahy about what she remembered the most and rather than saying, you know, something is ingrained in my mind, she said, it's indelible on the hippocampus. Yep. The the up, yeah. The laughter. The laughter. Yeah. I had to look up what hippocampus Me means. Me too. Me um, too. And then you used it order.
1: very well in a set last night <laughs> <laughs> as we were texting.
0: <laughs> Ann and I were texting. I, a lot of people were texting with a lot of people yesterday. Agreed. There's an interesting, just an aside for a moment, and I don't know if the listeners had the same experience. So I watched the whole hearing from beginning to end. Me too. Because yeah. I have the flexibility to do that now. And I would hear people on social media say things like, I'm walking through the streets of New York and everything seems quiet. And I, I saw some people texting from an airplane saying, flight attendants were going through the aisle during the food service and were looking over passengers' shoulders to to ask what's happening. There was like a quiet.
1: It was a national moment for sure, or a national hour, day Many is really, long yeah, it's really more it like, like it, but I, I couldn't agree more. And I, you know, when I was walking around, I had it, I was listening to it live in my ears, and I, I saw a number of people that seemed to be doing the same thing. So I think we were all tuned in.
0: So going back to Dr. Ford for a second, um, was there any point in her testimony that you thought her credibility was seriously challenged?
1: There were a couple things I thought. First of all, I think, you know, the Republican narrative has been and was very clearly yesterday to me through the questioning. She doesn't remember a lot. There are gaps in her memory. She hasn't always said the same thing. Were there four people there? Were there six people there? Were there two women there? And so I think a lot of it was going towards that, which since Dr. Ford had been forthright about those things, didn't feel like a big deal to me. I thought where they spent a lot of time, and this surprised me a little bit were on things like being willing to fly, the airplane, who paid for the polygraph. <clears throat> and that's where I think, you know, I would not have gone into detail in those things for a few reasons. One is, I mean, you and I probably both know people who are afraid to fly, who still fly.
0: My, my, my wife is, who I know pretty well, is incredibly afraid of flying, like a lot of people, and, and hates to do it, and tries to avoid it. And when she does do it, you know, my daughter or I hold her hand, Sometimes she has to be medicated. But you know what? She wants to see her father in Chicago and her mother in Chicago. And if the whole family is going to go fly somewhere on vacation, she She wants to come. You can't really drive to Colorado. So there's there's millions of people who are afraid of flying. And the idea that it undercuts your credibility that you didn't want to do it and come – and specifically the opposite of a vacation, basically flying into like a hellhole to testify about this incredibly personal, terrifying experience that you had in front of the whole country knowing – that there are a group of men, namely the 11 people in the Judiciary Committee on the Republican side, who have an interest in attacking your credibility from beginning to end.
1: And many of whom had already said that they were going to vote to confirm Kavanaugh, right? So it, it's hard its hard I'd to be not be to, daunted by that.
0: But, but two other points about the whole thing and the way that this woman, uh, Rachel Mitchell, went about it. So before Rachel Mitchell showed up, I had conflicting thoughts about this process. And I have said before, and you and I both served in the Senate, and we serve senators uh, on various committees, Senators don't often ask very good questions. True. And if the goal is to get to the truth without you know a lot of spectacle, it sometimes is useful to have you know professional lawyers do that. You know sometimes you can have a hybrid of that. So when I was in the Senate in two thousand and seven, I helped lead the investigation to the firings of u s. attorneys and politicization of the Justice Department. And I personally, uh, as an experienced and trained lawyer who had tried cases, Interviewed and deposed a lot of witnesses, including for you know hours and hours at a time, the chief of staff to the attorney general at the time, the deputy attorney general, so many other people, and then the staff does that, does the investigation, collects documents, and then and the
1: senators and ask then, the question. Yeah, so and then rural. and then you have
0: yeah. an open hearing yeah. that's much shorter, because it's hard to get to the truth in a in a hearing where people don't have right. the luxury of time. And so it's a long winded way of saying this whole five minute increment. Yeah especially when there has not been a deep background investigation so that you know what the pertinent things are, it seems silly. I agree. And counterproductive. Yep. And so right off the bat, I think Mitchell was handicapped or straitjacketed or whatever metaphor you want to use because she, you know, she, she would finally get into a groove asking a, question, you know, a series of questions and then Grassley would interrupt and you go to someone else. And so knowing that that was going to be the process, I thought her mistake was she had a limited amount of time. One of the reasons criminal trials work Better than congressional hearings, two reasons. One is there's a judge. Right. And a judge can shut Completely. you up yep. and, and cut you off and uh, and, and, can, is and is, is neutral. It's basically trying to. Right? right. And can rule on objections, unlike a chairman of a committee who's affiliated with a particular party. Yep. And then, second, there's no time limit. Right. So when people say, How long is the cross going to be? Well, maybe as it'll be as long as you need. Exactly. As long as you need. Yep. And you can't filibuster. Right. Because it's to no end, because you ultimately, and we'll get to Brett Kavanaugh's testimony um, in a couple of minutes. But part of the reason Brett Kavanaugh was able to get away with not answering certain questions like why won't you support an FBI investigation is that he knew that the questioner only was going to run out of time. And he, he was going to get a friendly senator. Uh, I agree. Right. So, agree. you know, for people who think that you can actually do an investigation of something, whether it's an allegation of uh, sexual assault or Benghazi or anything else in the setting of a congressional committee with no neutral arbiter. It's, impossible. it's yeah, an absolute impossibility, I agree with you. which is another reason why I think you and I agree that there should have been some investigation. There had
1: to be a real investigation. You know, Kavanaugh said a couple of times yesterday, this is the investigation. That is not an investigation. And, and there's no way in which it is. I mean, an investigation takes place when neutral law enforcement goes out, or generally people who have experience with these things, questions witnesses, runs down leads, tries to get every piece of evidence, and, and then ultimately is able to figure out, The truth, or at least even if the FBI didn't make a call on the truth and something like this, gives the factual information to the people who are able to then make the conclusions.
0: Can I put devil's advocate on that for one second? So everyone loved this idea. I mean, I I agree with it, but let's just talk about the other side. Everyone loves this idea, FBI investigation, FBI investigation, as if that was going to solve everything.
1: Right. It would not solve everything. And it's true that
0: they don't come to conclusions. They don't say the person is guilty or not. But we're talking before the recording someone said it best last night, Ezra Klein of Vox on Twitter said, you know, sure, but that argument that, that the Republicans are making, is like saying, you know, an MRI doesn't conclude anything, so why bother having the MRI? You'd have the MRI, so you see what's going on in the body, and then, you know, sentient human beings, doctors, make a determination. And sometimes
1: conclusion. they disagree. You could have three doctors who see, see something and see it differently, but they're given the information from the MRI. But, but isn't it likely the the that there, there was very
0: little information to get by the FBI, because it was 36 years ago, some of the witnesses already said under penalty of felony, which we kept hearing. Yep. I don't know. I don't remember. So uh, A, how long would that FBI investigation that everyone was hailing, how long would that have taken? And B, would it, would it really have resulted in anything?
1: I think it's hard for us to know, but I certainly think that there were a number of leads and other people who were at the schools that I would have followed up on. There's also the two new allegations, which I would like to see, you know, the FBI might come to a conclusion that they're not credible or that there's insufficient evidence to find people who would corroborate the new women.
0: And right. those two new allegations as quickly are one that has to do with Brett Kavanaugh's time when he was in college at Yale and a woman there claims that Brett Kavanaugh exposed himself to her yeah. uh, at a party and that other people saw it and remember it. And there's another allegation brought forward by the infamous uh, and now notorious Michael Avenatti yeah. who claims his client saw Brett Kavanaugh uh, at parties knowingly participating in uh, and being knowledgeable about things like gang rapes. Yeah. And
1: and I, you know, I think... an FBI background check would have looked into, a, you know, at this moment in time, if they ordered another FBI background check, I would have expected them to look not only at the Blasey Ford piece, but also at those two pieces. But look, I think it's possible that an FBI background check could be favorable to, to Kavanaugh, right, by by sort of coming to a point of saying, well, there is no additional evidence or there is no corroboration beyond what, what we already have. That being said, it, it does feel to me like this was a pure political process. And You know, I've done sex crimes cases. You investigate them more than you investigate any other type of case. Why why is that? Because of the nature of their often he said, she said. And look, here it's very unusual to have this third person in the room who I do think should have to go into the committee under. Mark Judge. Mark Judge. Yes. Who's a
0: recovering alcoholic.
1: Who corroborates, in my view, a lot of uh, Blasey Ford's testimony. Yes, he says, I don't recall that specific night, but we know he was a very close friend of Kavanaugh's. We know they were at parties a lot. We know he worked at Safeway. We know from his book that he was an alcoholic. And so to me, there's enough there really to warrant pulling him in into the committee for questioning. But again, I'd rather that there be a real investigative process because particularly It's good for everybody. It's good for everybody. And it might be fantastic for her side of the story. It might be fantastic for his. But there's a fundamental fairness question here. And look, you and I are used to law enforcement who are, you know, we see as neutral doing these types of investigation. And I think that's important. But any type of real investigation here, I think there has been absolutely none. And to me, at the end of the day, it just becomes he said, she said without a real investigation. It leaves
0: a cloud and an open question. Some of the Kavanaugh supporters have said, like a mantra during the hearing, look, he was investigated six times for these various jobs. You and I have both gone through background investigations multiple times. Did they miss skeletons in our closets?
1: I think... The FBI background checks—they really are. You know, you give them a list of people you know and people you've worked for, and they go out and do that. And by the way, I once had an FBI agent doing a background check on me who couldn't find me, and I was sitting in the United States Department of Justice <laughs> already. So I think we have to—we yeah. have to be real about—they're not law enforcement investigations; they're background check investigations.
0: So the other thing about background checks is, you know, people don't realize that—you know—they don't go into your bank accounts, right? So if you're engaging in some nefarious financial activity, um, they ask you a lot of questions, but it's not as invasive as you might think, and that's probably, you know, not a terrible thing. And if there is somebody who has experienced something bad at your hands and has never come forward, has never told anyone...
1: It would not be in your background check, It's Correct. not going to be in the background check, because they don't
0: know what... To ask. I mean, they, they don't go literally to every human being you've ever been connected to in your entire lifetime. It, it can't happen that way. So it's often going to be true. Just like there are criminals, by the way, walking the streets, that it takes a long time for law enforcement to get a hold of, and to get a beat on, because you know we just we don't just look at everyone's personal dealings and tap everyone's phones and go and talk to everyone that they've ever met in their life. You, you can't That's do right. it that way.
1: So let me ask you this: because you you led a Senate investigation. Is there another type of investigation? Like, could you have done a bipartisan investigation? And, and the, the hesitancy I have in asking this is having done sex crimes, it, it is different from other cases, right? And having done sex trafficking cases. So a lot of folks might not have that training and knowledge to do those types of cases. But it does feel to me the FBI is a better option, but there's still something lacking in that in that option as well.
0: The distinction here that is a correct one, when people keep talking about FBI investigation uh, or the investigation that we did, which is of actual impropriety as part of an oversight function by a congressional committee is different from this thing. This thing is about a background check and the BI, which stands for background investigation. And so there's all there's this sort of, um, you know, not very good faith back and forth debate on how the FBI doesn't do this or that. And it couldn't be charged anyway, because it's, you know, it's a it's an assault and it's a, it's a state law violation. That's of no moment at all. Right. I agree. The point here was looking at whether or not somebody is fit for a particular office And certainly, you know, the highest court in the land. The question is whether or not they should just reopen the thing that they were already authorized to do. Everybody they do it all the time. They do it all the time. When I was
1: AG in New Jersey, we reopened background checks of people all the time. I mean, there's nothing uncommon about it. Yeah.
0: So before we get to what the testimony of Brett Kavanaugh was like, you know, overall, do you think this idea that the Republican senators had of bringing in an outside sort of sex crimes prosecutor did that work or did that backfire?
1: So here's what I really dislike. I really dislike that when you, if you look at all the research on sexual harassment and and misconduct, the number one thing that is important is having women as line employees and in positions of authority in in companies and organizations. And you look at the 11 Republicans on the Senate Judiciary Committee, the majority, and there is not a single woman there. And by the way, there are Republican women senators. So I find this so troubling that this is the setup that we start from. In terms of having her come in, there, there is, in
0: fact, I believe there has, there has never been a Republican woman on the Senate Judiciary which Committee, which is
1: astonishing because that's the committee, the Judiciary Committee. They, they do deal with women's rights. They do deal with things like Roe v. Wade and, and questions of, you know, fairness and yeah, equality. And every judge
0: and every judge, every in the country, judge deals with federally it. goes to the Judiciary Committee.
1: And so, to me, you know, the fact that they didn't have a single woman on that committee that they could have turned to and said, "Look, w- we want you to lead the questioning." If
0: yeah, wasn't it smart, but but ultimately just as a matter of politics and optics. You know, I didn't think this yesterday, but I woke up this morning, and you know what? I heard Grassley say, uh, just before we started taping, he said, you know, we have this person. Every question asked of Dr. Ford was respectful. and It, it was. was um, I agree with that. Right? Yeah. And he then contrasted that with, well, I think he overstated it, but he contrasted that with then, you know, the, uh, the sort of obnoxious questioning uh, and tough questioning. By the Democrats, uh, the senators of of Brett Kavanaugh. So, yeah, I think during the whole thing yesterday, the tableau was terrible. You had these these eleven men, including big mouths like Ted Cruz and others, sitting silently, while this you know I think seemingly competent female lawyers yeah, asking agree. the questions, and they look silly and they look like they were you know abdicating the responsibility. But there are no sound bites of a male senator. Right. From a
1: political perspective, yeah. I think you, it was you very don't see, wise. You don't
0: see Lindsey Graham. Getting red in the face, yelling at her.
1: Right. Didn't you think it was disingenuous, though, that it, they only, they, they had, they started to have her question Kavanaugh and then it flipped pretty oh, quickly. Oh, yeah. And then all yeah. of a sudden, she's they, not the, they, there's they, not a, someone who looks like a competent prosecutor. There's the senators coming in to give political
0: speeches. They actually, politically, and maybe it was genius um, and maybe you find it offensive, but they kind of got the best of both worlds, right? They got to avoid looking like jerks, obnoxious and out of touch. And then, the and then they yeah. got to give their speeches, and they got to give their speeches, and their defenses of Brett Kavanaugh later. Yep. So the whole kind of th-
1: got it both ways. Yeah, yeah.
0: So I don't know. Maybe, maybe they were very <laughs> smart because, look, after all, th- this was not a criminal trial. You can call a job interview, but it, it, this this is about politics and power, and one side has the votes and wants to get someone on, and it's sort of like I, I feel, and I hate to say this, all's fair in love and war. And Supreme Court confirmations.
1: But, but didn't they treat her like she was on trial? I mean, they had a criminal prosecutor questioning her and then yeah, they treated him who was not neutral, who I think was trying to impeach her credibility, make her look like she hadn't always been yeah, forthright and tell poorly. the truth. Yeah. Even if, even if I don't think she was effective, but I still think I think she was competent but then when it came to Kavanaugh, he was not on trial and he's the one looking for the job and so to me you know there was some there was a just something that bothered me that I thought was unjust and unfair in the way that it it ended up rolling out yeah. with this woman who again i think she had an incredibly difficult job in the sense that she didn't know some of what she was doing was asking for facts some of which was yeah, trying she to she was impeach. doing the
0: basic initial inquiry on in five national increments television on national TV. <laughs> right and right. in, in fact at the end of the at the end of the testimony of Dr. Ford Uh, This was a shocking moment to me and made me like her even more. Uh, Rachel Mitchell, she essentially said, this is not the best way to go about doing this kind of inquiry herself. So she kind of bailed on the whole process herself. Yeah,
1: which to me is an argument of why she shouldn't have taken it in the first place because there's no doubt that she knew, look, this is the process. It's five minutes to you, five minutes to them. And if she didn't know that, then she's not competent, right? Well, you know, know,
0: it's interesting, right? Suppose that the shoe was on the other foot. You'd be a natural person that someone might ask to come do such questioning because of your, your experience and your professionalism. Would you have taken the job?
1: I would not have taken the job. In in, in this circumstance, the, the if the job was as it was set up yesterday, the answer is no. If you could convince them to, to have a different process and a different, you know, way to question witnesses, the answer is maybe. But it was set up in such a way yesterday that I think it was incredibly problematic.
0: So— Dr. Ford testifies for some hours, everyone, you know, to rapt audiences around the country and maybe the world. And everyone thinks she's credible. I mean, when I say everyone, I mean pretty much everyone other than Donald Trump Jr., perhaps. And and there are even reports, by the way, if you believe them, and I do, that Donald Trump watched the hearing and watched her and was irritated that he hadn't gotten a heads up that she would appear that credible, which is saying something. And Chris Wallace... On Fox News went on television saying this was devastating. I put out a tweet saying she was credible and it, it and it's devastating. And a lot of people, and I was texting with a lot of folks, and maybe you were too, because yeah. this was what we were consumed with yesterday, that the Kavanaugh nomination was really in trouble. Yes. And how is Senator Collins going to vote for him after this testimony? How is Jeff Flake going to vote for him after this testimony? And then there's a break. And then in comes Brett Kavanaugh, who had you know done a, a you know a fairly you know, meek, nice guy mm-hmm. interview on Fox News, mm-hmm. for which the president apparently had criticized him. Mm-hmm. What did you expect Kavanaugh to be like when he came into that room?
1: I did not expect him to be as he was. What, I didn't what did think you expect so. Him to be I, like? I thought he was gonna. I, I thought a couple of things. One, I thought he was gonna be a, a lot more humble than he was. Second, I thought that he was gonna address much earlier in his comments her. Christine Bazzi Ford and her allegations. Yep. I was really surprised that it was 15 minutes of about himself. About himself, right? Yeah. And and making no a mistake about his resume about him being under attack and him as being the victim in all of this. I was surprised by that. I also I'll tell you this, I didn't expect him to yell. You know, look, I, and I personally agree with you when you walk into the arena on the Supreme Court like you're a gladiator. Like this is a process where anything can happen and and everyone's life is fully on display. But I expected him to have a judicial demeanor. I expected him to be above all professional. And I was, so I was taken aback really in the first five minutes. And what
0: did you think? So I was floored. But then I also thought, I don't mean to make myself sound smarter than I am because I, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. And so maybe as he, he was testifying, you know, I remembered some reports that I had read. One, that Donald Trump apparently had called him and you know, without criticizing his Fox News performance, told him... To fight. To yep. fight. Yep. And that's what Donald Trump likes. Yep. And as much as, obviously, this is in the... You know, the ball is in the Senate's court. It's still, it's in Trump's court, too. Yes. and my view, in talking to various people...
1: In terms of whether or not he would withdraw his name.
0: Correct. You know, you need Donald Trump's support. Even if, you know, as a technical matter, you need senators to vote. And I believe earlier in the week, based on talking to people who have talked to people, um, whatever that's worth that Donald Trump was in a holding pattern and was equally prepared, depending on how the hearing went, uh, to back Kavanaugh to the hilt and also prepared to throw him overboard and get somebody else. And so as we often hear this phrase uh, when we're talking about politics these days, uh, whether it's cabinet officials or the press secretary, the president, they're often performing for an audience of one.
1: I agree. And
0: so a little bit he was doing that. And then the other thing I I thought of was, look, what— the obvious example and precedent for this 27 years earlier was Anita Hill and Clarence Thomas and you had a similar situation who gave almost Hill the same speech yeah. was, was incredibly yeah. uh, forthright seemed compelling yeah. seemed credible it was before you know iPhones and texting but I assume people were doing the same kind of thing that you and I were doing yesterday saying how in trouble the Thomas nomination was and then he came out swinging really really hard and I, Mike here's yeah. my question to you Yeah, H- how many times do you think Brett Kavanaugh in the last four days, watch the clip of Clarence Thomas's testimony.
1: I was surprised and, and sort of watching the two clips together that the language was so similar.
0: Right. I mean, some language could be, some language,
1: yes. right. Some, some language was different, but some language was incredibly similar. I didn't do this in high school. I didn't do this in college. I've never done this. And just these, these outright, very angry, the conspiracy, angry, theory, the conspiracy yes. theories, the very political making this about pure about politics. And, it, you know, I think you're right. I think Trump was was the audience of one. And the playbook is always beyond beyond the attack. Take the offensive. And even where I don't think it's credible, a lot of the allegations he was making, he threw a lot of allegations out there yesterday about
0: revenge for Bill and Hillary Clinton. Yes.
1: Revenge that the Democrats had sort of somehow coordinated the 2012 and all these prior acts, you know, sort of outcries by Christine Blasey Ford. I mean, there was a really incredible thing. Also, even I thought saying to the Democratic senators, well, maybe you have a drinking problem, right? Maybe, right. We, maybe we all drink too much, you know, just-
0: right. There were moments of Brett Kavanaugh's testimony um, that I will admit I found compelling. And, you know, when he mentioned his daughter- I agree. And the that was first a- time he choked up. Yep. You know, if you're a human being, I think that is affecting. I agree. I thought that, that was genuine. I thought what I was that, also genuine yeah.
1: was his anger, right? And, yeah. and so different people can see the anger coming from different places, but I don't think anyone could have watched that and not seen that he was incredibly angry.
0: Well, you know what someone said to me? He um, said, if you, if you had been accused of something you hadn't done, and let's say some of those accusations included involvement of gang rape of women, which I have not done, and I had to defend myself in public in connection with being appointed to this office, I'd be really angry yes, too. Now I the think everyone is, would be angry. Should I have, right. should, and you know, I, we can talk about our ultimate view of whether or not he did it or didn't do it. Um, but his anger, I thought, to a certain audience was probably really compelling, wasn't it?
1: I agree. What I didn't think was authentic were some of the conversations about how much he drank and what his yeah. behavior was like when he was young. But in terms of the pure anger and really feeling, look, I believe sitting here that he feels like, I've worked hard all my life, I've gone to school, I don't deserve to be in this position where I have to answer these allegations. I personally believe, look, you you wanna be a Supreme Court justice, you sit in that room, you answer the questions, and, and it's fair game, but he was authentic, I think, on that. That being said, I think he did use his anger in some ways to avoid answering questions, yes. and so I, I don't think by saying "look, yeah, he was an angry right. guy," it made it
0: smart.
1: It, it made it smart, but it's also it, it's smart in some ways. Look, sad in other ways that that they people weren't able to effectively question him beyond that anger. And I think you know we saw a lot of back and forth where I don't think a lot of senators broke through that to the ability to get him to answer questions. But there there were a number of ways in which I, I did feel like you know he walked in there. Angry, guns a blazing, ready to throw accusations at at the Democratic senators. and it did cha- it completely changed the tenor of the hearing.
0: completely There's a psychology of drama. I don't think that's an official term that I would always think about when we talk to you know prosecutors in my office, you have to see what's going on in the room and and there's an there's an atmosphere in the room, and sometimes when it's to your disadvantage, you have to change it, right? And I have seen prosecutors mess this up. I remember being in a courtroom, and a prosecutor talking about a terrorist case in which a lot of people died, and jurors were crying, hearing about the victims, and the defense lawyer got up there, and the first thing he should have said, and this is not in any law book, the first thing he should have said to change the atmosphere of the room and to show that he had some human mm-hmm. emotion, and sympathy, was, you know, I, I weep for the dead people yes. too, yeah, and I feel and terrible sorry. for their families, yes. and I'm sorry, yes, but what you have to understand is, my client didn't do that, right, and instead he got up there and started yelling at the government, and. You know, this is a, is a classic example of there was a mood that was in favor of Dr. Ford, and he had to change the mood in the room. And you, we saw it a couple times actually later. Yes. When there's a tense exchange between um, some senators, or when after Lindsey Graham had his, you know, full it, freak out, yeah. I forgot who went next, said, you know, should we take a minute? Because sometimes you need to take a minute yeah. before going going on. But mm-hmm. in various ways, as we see from the vote that we anticipate this morning, it was effective.
1: It was effective. And it was particularly effective, I think, for the Republican senators on the Judiciary Committee, who all jumped in to say, yeah, you've been wronged, right? I mean, it was sort of a, it became a parade of this, I'm so sorry, you're going through this. And it really, it it was a very interesting dynamic that flipped, I think, pretty quickly, at least, you know, Mitchell was doing the questioning of him. And all of a sudden, the Republican senators started to jump in. And it really became campaign speeches about why this is a Democratic hit job on this highly qualified nominee. And it just, it it did
0: flip the the conversation. Passion matters. Defense lawyers, prosecutors usually win by being even-tempered, even-demeanor, facts and the evidence, ma'am. And defense lawyers who don't have it on their side, and I don't think they fully had it on their side here, can be very effective in court or in a congressional hearing by, you know, substituting tremendous passion, anger, belief i mean i i I saw and i knew lindsey graham when i worked in the senate and actually liked him very much and i saw a reporter yesterday say he's been covering him for 20 years he has literally never seen lindsey graham this angry now you can say the anger is misplaced and you can say it's wrong and some people say he's a little too close to trump or he's become unwound because his best friend in the senate john mccain has passed but it is true that that anger was genuine
1: yeah yeah i saw it too
0: so we've already been talking for a while and and we could talk for a lot longer. I, I want to sort of do some big picture questions. One is on the process yesterday, do you find it interesting? This is an observation I had when I woke up this morning, and other people have made it too, that Dr. Ford woman was successful and found to be credible, I think, by being what? By being calm, calm, thoughtful. nice, thoughtful, solicitous, pleasant, yes. Solicitous. Um Deferential, right? Yes. And Brett Kavanaugh looks like he was successful um, in various ways, given the vote, probably by being obnoxious, arrogant, dismissive,
1: completely cutting off senators, asking them questions instead of answering questions. I mean, what does that tell?
0: What does that say to women? Some of whom I've talked to and, and have made this observation to me. What does that say about the state of play for professional men versus professional women? And public perception of of what our
1: expectations are, women versus men in the workplace, completely. And and I think to just take it one step further, what a lot of people have said, and and I agree with this, is that if she acted the way he acted, we wouldn't even be having the conversation about her being credible. We wouldn't. I think so much has changed in the last year or two with Me Too, and what's changed profoundly is it used to be he said, she said, we believe him, or, you know, the tie goes to him. The assumption is that he's right. Nationally, I think we've seen that really flip and this conversation about, look, it's not fair and it's not right, and and we're hurting women not just through assaults and and harassment, but also their ability to work, right? At the end of the day, women having an equal opportunity to be in the workplace— that is is changing nationally i don't think it's changing in the us senate and so no, I, right and so one of the things i saw yesterday was i was sitting there thinking this to me is out of sync with with a lot of where we are in America right now, but it also just shows how much work we have left to do, that this is what we expect of her, and we're going to allow him to potentially go on the United States Supreme Court, having acted, I think, pretty terribly, you know, in the workplace. I think if someone who, and you know, I ran an office of 9,000 people, if someone came in yelling and screaming, I would have said, look, let's, let's have a calm conversation. Like, this isn't the way we address each other. Um, and the fact that he was so successful in doing that, I mean, I, I, it's hard not to be troubled by that, I think.
0: Do you think we would be in the same position this morning with the vote if the order had been flipped? If Kavanaugh, Kavanaugh went first
1: and she went second. Yeah. So I, I want to hear what you have to say on this. But 100%, I think that he could never have done what he did and come in yelling and screaming had he gone first. I think it would have set this up very differently. And then she would have been the last person that they heard. And you know, it, it does make a difference. And you know, I want to hear you on this too. What,
0: what I think is fascinating about that, and I agree with you. But what's fascinating and troubling about that conclusion is how much in life, in particular in legal proceedings, congressional proceedings, depends on emotion, drama, momentum, order, because the facts and the law would have been the same, right? The standards would have been the same. But why should it be that there would have been a different result based on someone going first or going second? So that's sort of my observation. One of the last sort of big-picture questions is, you know, there has not been a lot of attack on the credibility of Dr. Ford. And so that leaves you with a peculiar uh, feeling in your in your head, which is, how do you square the fact that Dr. Ford, as Chuck Grassley himself said, was credible? He tends to believe her, but then people also believe Brett Kavanaugh. And I saw someone say yesterday, and I want to see what you think about this, we are left with the real possibility, Right. And not everyone thinks this is true. Some people think Brett Kavanaugh is just straight up lying, but we are left with the really with the real possibility that Dr. Ford was sexually assaulted by Brett Kavanaugh with uh, his friend in the room, and that he was either too drunk uh, to remember it, or it was as my wife actually has said and you know concluded, you know maybe this was such a common thing that these guys did back then that it made no indelible impression on his hippocampus, and so. He's being genuine when he's angry, saying this didn't happen,
1: so I, I think and I, I've heard that too, and I think you know to me my my personal view is that if there's any potential that he did sexually assault her, then that should sway the committee vote, right? And whether it sways the committee vote in honor of having a real investigation first what or it think it sways, the truth I think the truth uh, he, here's where I have a problem with some of Kavanaugh's stuff. I think he overplayed the choir boy hand. To me, it's very clear. Even if you just use the evidence he gave, like the calendar, right, the skis, likely meaning brew skis or these conversations about him throwing up, the evidence that he cites to shows that he was an excessive drinker when he was in high school and in college. And there are a lot of witnesses who confirm that. So to me, it it just the thing I find incredible is this. I was a choir boy. And yeah, I had a couple beers. I like beer. Who doesn't like beer? Everybody likes beer. Senator, do you drink beer? is really sort of masking the fact that I think there are real credibility issues with how he has come forward. And to me... The question is both the truth of the allegations. It's also the demeanor and character of the person who would go on the court. I just am not prepared to say and just give him this walk of you know he doesn't he doesn't remember anything because he was drunk and he's not even willing to say he was probably drunk. I would find that a lot more credible if he'd come in and said, "Look, I drank too much. I behaved badly. It's possible I forgot something, but nothing in my in my memory or recollection or in Mark Judge's is consistent with but
0: that." Did you find and I. I I tend to agree with all that. Did you find it sort of um, a bad look for senators to be extensively questioning Brett Kavanaugh about his yearbook page? I mean, you know, and I get the point, but then you know, I I follow and listen to what people on on the conservative side say, and they poke fun at this idea that that you're you're questioning Brett Kavanaugh about the meaning of words that were joking references to flatulence in the yearbook. Is there something to that criticism?
1: You know, I I think you're asking the right question, which is, can it only be she's telling the truth and he's not telling the truth? And so and so that's the conclusion. Or can both things be true? And I think the question is, do we have enough support? Is it just enough for him to say, I didn't do it. I wasn't a drinker. There are other nobody else can say I did it. You know, isn't that a little bit of this? He said she said piece? And then it doesn't doesn't that sort of say that the tie is going to go to him?
0: Yeah, well, because people keep confusing this idea because they have, you know, a particular view on wanting him on the court or not wanting him on the court. And so the people who want him on the court are applying the criminal standard and saying, you know, Lindsey Graham at one point said correctly, um, I think, that based on what we've heard from Dr. Ford, you would not be able to get an arrest warrant. You wouldn't be able to get a search warrant. Of I course, it's that. 36 yeah. years earlier. But you would, based on the testimony of Dr. Ford and other things, especially if you've done an investigation, decide at your company not to hire the guy. Right. Or decide... Um, as a as a White House, not to nominate the guy. I mean, that's the whole reason why we do background checks and they do vetting in the first place. And with respect to... I mean, I guarantee you, by the way, and I haven't heard anybody say this, I guarantee you, had the White House come across these allegations in the vetting process, right, and they heard rumors about these things, because I helped vet people too, they wouldn't have nominated him. And the idea that, you know, he, he deserves a spot in the Supreme Court unless there's proof beyond a reasonable doubt is nonsense because these guys themselves would... Mitch McConnell himself, Lindsey Graham himself, would never have allowed or recommended it to go forward if this stuff was known before the nomination happened. So what's going to happen?
1: So I I think... You know, I was looking at Senator Flake to see what he did. He, this morning, said he would vote for the nomination. And it really does, I think, now come down to Senators Collin and Murkowski. And I expect right now, I think he will go through. And and I think it's close, but it's possible that they will call for an investigation and they will delay it. But I think given this momentum and what we saw yesterday afternoon into this morning and this deep desire to push ahead – you know, I sit here thinking that it's a very real possibility. I would not say it's 100%, probably more 60, 40, 65, yeah. 35. But
0: I stopped predicting. I said last night yeah, what predictions are not worth anything because I thought one thing on Sunday. I thought something different on Monday. I thought something at yep. lunchtime yesterday and something different at the end of the day. So I, I agree with you. It's likely to happen. Um, and then the issue I thought that someone said, well, and we'll we can end on this, uh, is that anybody who thinks, I forgot who said it, but anybody who thinks this is just about whether Kavanaugh gets on the court or doesn't get on the court, is not considering the whole picture. Because what this is also about is whether or not, you know, three hundred something million people in America will forever, at least for a generation, have a an altered view of one of the one of the branches of government.
1: Yeah, and, and I actually think two of the branches of government, right? Because, yes, the United States Senate, I do not think, I I suspect many people will be dissatisfied with the Senate, and, and really rightfully so, and, and how this has come out, and have a lot of concerns about how political this is. The second piece, though, is what about the court? Right. I mean, the court is always the arbiter of the court tells us what the law is. And if they've lost a lot of legitimacy, we've seen that. We saw that after Anita Hill. We saw it after Bush v. Gore. This is a huge hit to the court. And even if he gets on, you're going to have someone who got who gets on with multiple sexual assault allegations who basically yelled and screamed in a Senate hearing room to get on. And I think it's hard not to you know I want to know what you think about this, but it's hard not to as a lawyer who really believes in, you know, the importance of these three branches of government and Supreme Court, it, it saddens me that we're about to walk even further into a world where people are going to question the legitimacy of one of our most important institutions or two of them.
0: I yeah, look I think the whole thing is sad and traumatic and anybody thinks that anyone has won is wrong. No winners here. Ann Milgram, thanks again for being on the show. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everybody. Barring anything completely crazy, we'll see you next Thursday. Thanks to my guest, Ann Milgram, as always. I'm Preet Bharara. Stay tuned.